three, two, one. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make- all the advantages. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, TexasFootball.com. You are listening to the Republic of Football Podcast Network, an umbrella of Dave Campbell's, and I am joined by my co-host, former Fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman, Jay Arnold. Jay, how are you holding up? I am holding up. Uh, made it through uh, the, the first week of April, I guess, the first full week of April. Uh, we have the AM spring game coming up. Uh, feels like we're about into the doldrums of offseason when, when summer hits and there's just kind of a whole lot of nothing going on uh but i can't complain so uh i I definitely am not as busy as some people are yeah i if i sound tired i like to be uh transparent uh if not anything i am exhausted i have been last week i was in houston actually ate ate dinner with you and and uh one of our buddies you know who coaches at rice and then I did the Rice stop, the Houston stop, and UTSA last week. Did UTEP over the phone. Uh, now I'm up here in DFW. I was at TCU all day today. I'm at North Texas on Tuesday, SMU on Wednesday, Baylor on Thursday. Uh, the next week, got stops at Texas, Texas A&M, Sam Houston, and then a flight out to Lubbock, Texas to talk to Joey McGuire uh, about his Red Raiders. So uh, it is magazine season for Dave Campbell's. This is a busy time. Uh, at Dave Campbell. So if I'm a little spacey, a little tired, let's blame it on all the miles I am putting on my poor Ford Fusion. Um, I need to get in that Subaru Outback life uh, that Jay Arnold's got. You know, that kind of a, that's more of a warrior car than the one I have. It's kind of puttering around the state of Texas. <laughs> I drove, I drove, let me ask you this. I drove I-35 from Austin where I live. I know that's not going to be uh, favorable to to who's listening to this podcast, but I do live in Austin. Uh, so I had to drive from Austin to Fort Worth uh, on e- on Easter, because uh, I had to be at TCU on Monday morning at 630 in the morning. So uh, I had to drive on Easter. It was one of the worst drives of my lifetime. Um, what's what you got to you got to work. You got a least favorite drive that you have to make on a regular basis that you just can't stand. What's your what's your commute situation? What's your road trip situation that you just can't you just can't stand? Because mine absolutely is 35, uh, especially in Temple, Texas. Yeah, 35 is is pretty god awful bad uh, in between dfw and san antonio i mean yeah. you have you know austin traffic can get you uh north of san antonio on 35 that can get a little bit rough and then like you mentioned the temple colleen like that area belton oh, i mean it, it is anything between that area is just terrible uh I, i'm so used to making the drive on 45 now between houston and rockwall that i am kind of sick of it uh yeah. There, there's some stretches on there. It's not like there's just not a lot of scenic driving in Texas until you get like <laughs> right. far west. Uh, and even then, like 10 and 20 kind of take you through the less scenic parts of uh, of West Texas. Uh, so I, I've made some some really, really bad road trips. But I think like I-10 
from from Houston to Beaumont seems like it should be a, a really like n- uncomplicated stretch. There is always something going on there uh, to the point where, I mean, I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but if you've ever driven 10 between Lafayette and, and Baton Rouge and have crossed the uh, Atchafalaya Basin Bridge. Yeah, Bridge of Doom. Yeah, I uh, I almost prefer that Bridge of Doom to the stretch between Houston and Beaumont just because of how often it seems like I get caught in construction and, and chaos and, and people that don't know how to drive between Beaumont and Houston. Yeah, I-10 heading west is, is definitely definitely better than headed east uh, when you're going through Beaumont, Golden Triangle, and into Louisiana. If you close your eyes, you can tell when you cross into Louisiana – that's how bad that road gets. It just starts like hopping. Your car starts hopping down the road. Like you have hydraulics as soon as you get into Louisiana. Uh, but yeah, not not a great drive. That 45 drive, like you mentioned, it's not that it's too bad traffic-wise. Like occasionally something weird can happen. But man, you ain't seeing shit. Like that is a boring, boring drive. You drive through Huntsville and you see like the what the prison museum and stuff. It's just like, it's please the, get the, me. The prison museum and the, the giant statue of Sam Houston. Yeah, right. <laughs> just the, that is impossible to get to. I one time had a couple hours to kill and was like, I'm going to try to get to that statue. But you got to go park like a mile from the statue to get it's It's kind of an interesting uh, thing. But yeah, it's uh not not fun. It's such a big state. That's one thing I get an appreciation for or a depreciation for during magazine season, magazine season. Just like how much miles uh you can cover in this state so uh speaking of spring practice texas a&m playing their spring game 3 p.m on kyle at at kyle field uh almost feels like a good thing that has been a relatively quiet spring like it kind of started off with a weird bang at the opening press conference but uh since then things do it seems to have settled down haven't been knock on wood any major injuries no crazy off field stuff no weird things happening that sometimes can distract from, from these deals. So, you know, I feel like that's a positive, um, you know, before we get into things we want to see from a spring game, I know we touched on this a little bit, but this as a former player and, and we've talked about how you never really went through spring because of injuries, but uh, what does the spring game really mean? Right? Like as a, as, as a guy in the locker room, like what is, what is that? Is that just a practice? Is it just a glorified practice? Is it because it feels like the coaches don't like them. You know, that they feel like they have to have them just for recruits and stuff, but they're kind of a dumb exercise. Uh, but the fans love them because we try to take, you know, all the results and then like extrapolate like how a team's going to do based on a practice. Yeah, it's uh, it's a whole nothing uh, yeah, is what right. a spring game is. Uh, it's, I mean, like you said, I, I haven't gone through one myself, but I, I have been around them enough. Uh, the spring game is just kind of there right like it's a glorified scrimmage i mean you're getting good on good at some points but i mean you have guys that are recovering from injuries from fall that aren't going to be there uh really the only thing you can see is like maybe maybe something starts clicking for a guy uh that's kind of the only real positive i guess and even that like the coaches are seeing it in practice before they see it in the spring game uh, I guess to some extent, it's kind of like the lights are on and, and it's an actual game, but uh, it, it's just not like people want to pitch that idea, but there's a completely different atmosphere around a spring game versus actually suiting up uh, for, for a college football game for the first time. I will say, though, for for some of those kids that are getting into AM and and, you know, 
early enrolled in the spring and are going through practice, it is kind of a good atmosphere for them to kind of strap up in front of the fans for the first time. Go through a pregame ritual, maybe just kind of figure out what that's going to feel like. Uh, get some of those butterflies out, but there's not going to be a hundred thousand screaming people, right? You're not playing against another uniform. It can't, it can't be that. Uh, Maybe we start doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's something I wanted to talk about a little bit later is kind of like, how do we improve the spring games? What do you think about, you know, the scrimmage idea that that's getting tossed around, but you know, before we get to that, like given that, even though we just admitted that it's kind of a big nothing burger and don't, don't take too much from it. I do remember sitting there at last year's spring game and looking at the offense and going, uh-oh, I don't know. Like, I, I know that there's talent here, but I'm not sure how you can look as bad as they're looking right now and then, like, turn it around and win 10 games. Like, I, I started to have my doubts uh, during spring ball, and maybe that's anecdotal, and, and it just ended up kind of being that way, and it didn't have anything to do with the spring. But I do feel like an offensive rhythm or like some kind of success where it looks like they've been practicing for 14 previous times uh, would be a benefit uh, for A&M. Do you think that's important? Or, or again, do you think it's just something that the fans will talk about? I mean, me personally, uh, you talk about rhythm, but I want to see tempo. Uh, I want right, to see yeah, there you some, go. some, uh, some changes in the offense and, and the play calling, uh, you know, some, some additional pre-snap motion, things like that. This is something that I think you can take away if you're a fan. Uh, if the offense has changed quite a bit, uh, maybe not necessarily uh, in the plays they're running, but at least in tempo and, and some pre-snap motion stuff, I think you have to be happy as a fan. Uh, as far as specifics, I mean, it would be nice to see kind of just Connor Wagman take another step. Uh, but again, I, I don't know how much of a conclusion you can draw from a spring game. Uh but I know you can draw a conclusion on if the offense has changed from how the play calling is going to look. Well, according to Jimbo Fisher, scheme is scheme everywhere. Everybody runs the same exact exam exact scheme. Uh, I wonder, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but he did say that in the opening press conference that, that all schemes are the same. If you look across college football and it's just about execution. So I do wonder like how different it looks in the spring, if at all, you know, are you disappointed as a fan if they just kind of run the same base stuff that they've always been running and kind of quote unquote, save everything else for, for the fall. Yes. And no, uh, it's going to be kind of the window dressing stuff that like, like Jimbo said, I mean, scheme is scheme. I mean, obviously there's going to be a few outliers. You're going to have your, your option teams, your teams that are doing kind of some wildly different stuff, but scheme is scheme to an extent. Uh, there's a lot of window dressing that that coordinators can put on an offense to change up the looks, uh, to confuse defenses, and that's more of what I'm going to look for here. I think yeah. sometimes A&M's pre-snap reads offensively are too simple, uh, and I think that's part of the issue. You have to kind of give the defense a little razzle-dazzle to look at, you know, uh, a, a little – little something to throw them off and and maybe you don't get into too much of that in the spring game but i'd be disappointed if i didn't see at least a little bit of that i love the idea of a&m coming out and just like running trick plays and just emptying the bag on saturday like that would be <laughs> hilarious you know what i mean just like every like go like taking both of those guys and put them in the room and going what are your the 20 favorite plays you've ever called ever let's like run all 40 of them today and just blow. I love that. I mean, that would be, it's like how much is another team getting from that? Right. Like is Alabama right. going to study that spring game tape and like, that's going to be the difference in the game. Like if I'm a play caller, like I'm going to have fun 
in the spring game. I know everybody wants to be vanilla and boring and because the defense isn't going to blitz and do, but I would just like, and make it an event. Like let the kids have fun. Let them run all the, like let Evan Stewart call some plays, right? Like I, I would start doing more stuff like that to make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. And I mean, from the coach's perspective, like they're not supposed to put butts and seats necessarily for a spring game. Uh, but I think that would be great from an entertainment aspect. Like I, I want to see, just nothing but trick plays, like you said. I mean, just go ahead and empty the the playbook. Go full yeah. on, uh, full on, let fans call plays. I mean, yes, donors do, do all of it. Why not? I mean, right. it's, it's a spring game. We're not going to get too much from it, anyways. Uh, really, it's kind of a celebration for for the athletes because they're getting to wrap up a spring uh, where you don't really have much to look forward to other than the end of it. If I'm mm-hmm. being honest. Uh, cause you don't have an opponent at the end that you're going to face. You're just going to yeah. face the same guys you've been facing in practice all, uh, all spring. And I mean, yeah, make, make it fun. Yeah. Let's fix like, while we're like, let's just do it instead of getting into weird, boring, dorky, like, what are we looking for in spring game talk? Like let's, let's fix spring games. And like, I think a good way to start would be one draft, right? Like whoever, whoever the spring MVPs are. You know, let them kind of do a draft. And it may not even be like an 11 on 11 type situation that you're drafting into, but it's like some different drills or some different competitions that maybe could go on. Uh, but I, I do think one of the best things that we could do is let play players call plays on offense and defense, right? Like whoever your defensive captain is, offensive captain, just let them have a series or two where it's like Terry Bledsoe in the 70s, where like your quarterback is your offense coordinator. Let's see what Anaya Smith's play calling acumen is like you know like one i think it would teach the players a great lesson like hey this is kind of hard to do with 40 seconds and the and the clock running and all this kind of stuff but also i'd like to see the way that they'd call plays like would they even run the ball like how would that work yeah and like you said teaching lessons i mean it also teaches you to look at the game from a different way yeah uh i mean it could help players in a way that like you're seeing things on the field that normally you're not looking for uh, so I think in a lot of ways, I mean, that could uh, could be beneficial for the players. Uh, obviously, the fan called plays isn't probably going to be beneficial for the players, but I think that would be still a fun way to do it. Uh, NIL, like maybe this would be illegal, but like, could it be like Bass Pro Shop sponsoring the first down? You know what I mean? Like where you could just like <laughs> tie it in uh, to like to that where like any type of donor who's given some NIL stuff like gets to call a series of the spring game or something. I, that there you go. And that that's how we could figure this stuff out. Absolutely. Just go ahead and get an IL involved. But uh I you know, spring games are not my favorite time of the year just because I feel like it's kind of like watching the Pro Bowl uh <laughs> with a little more contact. Yeah. I feel like spring games and like this time of year always feels like preseason NFL football where I believe I'm excited for it. I want to be excited for it. I plan to watch some of it. And then I just don't, you know, because it's NFL preseason football and football without stakes just doesn't matter. Do they have do they have bets for for football spring games? No, for college football. No. Okay. No. I mean, at least in the NFL, you can bet on preseason games. That's right? true. That's true. Well, maybe if they do the thing everybody's talking about, we could start getting on that train. Have you heard about just the scrimmage idea and how? You know, we could make these things scrimmages. Texas A&M and Sam Houston could partner up and have, you know, split practices like they do in the NFL with a little bit of a spring game at the end of it. Um, what are your thoughts on what that could look like? And as a former player, like, would that have made spring ball a little bit more entertaining? 
Yeah, I think it I think it makes it more bearable when you're getting to hit somebody that's not just your same teammate for the uh for the duration of the of the spring. It's uh I support it just cuz I think you you improve you give yourself a chance to improve. Uh you're going to get better looks against guys who aren't your teammate. Uh it's just there's so many so many factors that go into a spring and I mean coaches are going to say that the mindset has to be that your opponent is your opponent like if it's if it's a teammate that you're going against because it's it's spring practice and i mean you still have to perform at 100 percent, but that's just not going to be the case knowing uh that, that you're going against your teammate there if you practice and uh and scrimmage and, and have spring games against uh other teams you're just able to go that little bit harder i think and and again it's also more enjoyable for the fans in my opinion yeah, I mean, it just comes down to who would pay for it. Yeah, you know, like Texas A and M would have to pay somebody to come there, most likely. You know, they're probably not going to go somewhere else. Um, and so there's the the logistics of that and getting a team involved and hotels and school. I know that doesn't really sometimes matter when we're talking about things in the grand scheme of stuff, but like you'd also have to like figure that out if you weren't doing it during spring break. And so uh, there's some hurdles to it, but on the on the surface, on paper. I love the idea. I mean, I, it would be fun as hell for Texas and Texas State to be scrimmaging some. I, I believe that would help uh, both programs, obviously, in, in a little bit of different ways. But one of the reasons that it feels like this is getting talked more and more about is something that I've known. So now I've made I've made four stops so far, four different schools, and then I talked to one on the phone so far. And one of the topics has just been spring football because that's what's happening right now. And Coaches like anybody like to talk about what's on their mind. That is what they're most complaining about at this moment. And uh, it does feel like with the transfer portal uh, and just how how there's so many more movements uh, within a roster that spring practice is getting harder and harder to have because you have fewer and fewer players on your roster. You're not only losing the guys who are graduating and are naturally kind of getting out of college football, the 20 guys or so that are graduating each year and moving on for different reasons. Well, now let's say you got 10 uh, transfers that leave the program or maybe even more than that at some places. And so now you got 30 to 35 guys leaving the program. There's injuries from the end of the year, as you mentioned earlier, guys that had surgery at the end of the year are still out or not all the way back. And so now you're at 40, let's say 45 guys that are missing from your roster. You're trying to do spring practice with 40 players, 50 players at the most, and then some walk-ons. Uh, it's just getting harder and harder. I feel like coaches are more, uh, in tune to the health part of it too it feels like spring used to be gladiator sport time you know where it was like let's just figure out let's, let's be physical and let's, let's it seems more like nfl otas and yeah. I, i'm asking you um is that the way to go like are the old days of just banging up against each other in the spring just to make sure you're physical for the fall like are those days dead and like this thing needs to move more towards you know otas where you don't need full pads you don't need to hit all the time yeah, I think that's the right direction for it. First of all, because you have what, like, three months between the end of spring and uh, the beginning of fall camp. Like, you're gonna have an, you're gonna lose all the progress you made from a physicality standpoint. Anyway, right. it didn't make any, it didn't make sense to me to begin with to to be full contact in March. I mean, obviously, like, you're gonna have some guys that. Uh, have to adjust to uh, the level of physicality at the college game. And and I get that from, a, from a, from a coaching perspective, but at the end of the day, I mean, 
it feels like so many people suffer injuries and, and we're learning more about what the human body can take and what it can't take. And, you know, as thinking has advanced, I mean, I, it just doesn't seem to me to be worth it uh, to, to have those kind of, you know, physical showdowns in spring where you're just constantly running bodies into each other, knowing that you're already short because guys are gone for any number of reasons between injuries and, and transfers and uh, guys coming in or guys that haven't arrived yet. If they're, you know, coming out of high school, I mean, you're working with limited bodies. So to keep the physicality ramped up, and it just goes against common sense. And I think we've it, learned a lot as as the game has evolved. It feels like one of those outdated, archaic things that, like, this used to not be a 12-month-out-of-the-year job for everybody. You know, like, my grandfather was part of the college athletics forever. I mean, guys in the 70s, they weren't, they weren't in shape in March. Like, this was how you got them back in shape, right? You kind of whipped them into shape, reminded them what football is. Now, these guys are working out 24-7 pretty much every single day of every single week of every, you know, all year. Uh, nowadays and so i just don't know if it's needed in the same way that it used to be needed uh players are smarter now with technology you can always be running through stuff with mental reps and i think science has proved those are as valuable if not more valuable uh than the physical ones and so uh it doesn't seem like it's moving more to towards otas i've been to four different programs practices they do not look like spring practices looked a decade ago they just don't you know for better or for worse and you know the coaches talk about the negative parts of that because you know, I do think coaches are kind of wired to kind of complain more than they are to to praise just naturally. Uh, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of benefits to it because you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like your growth within an offseason happens more in a weight room than it does on a practice field. Like getting into the weight room and getting stronger and getting faster and getting quicker seems like it'll pay you more dividends uh, than, you know, hitting people in March. And so keeping guys healthy for that, I would feel like, is a benefit of pulling it back a little bit as well. Yeah. And look, there's your body can only take so many hits. You have mileage. There is a finite amount of times that you can run into somebody just like in, in boxing. There's a finite amount of times that a guy can take a punch. I mean, your body's not only going to last so long. So, you know, thinking about that from a, from an athlete's perspective, why, why would you, go into a spring practice and, and use some of those uh, some of those physical reps that are that are limited uh, in in a season that it isn't working towards you know like a, an opponent at the end of the day I mean you're, you're essentially you can improve mentally you can improve uh, the speed at which you're reacting to things without having the, the physical component there's there's no reason to take it and then like you said I mean, you're going to make more progress in the weight room. Uh, you're going to more, make more progress at the at the dinner table with, I mean, with one thing that also hasn't been taken into account is, you know, nutritionists uh, in, in college football these days. I mean, there's so much more science on the diet now mm -hmm. on that side of things that uh, can help athletes take care of their bodies. Uh, so in addition to what we know about, you know, uh, needing a rest period, uh, for you to recover. There's also the, the diet that goes into recovering, uh, the diet that goes into getting yourself ready for the season. So it's, it's a lot of things. I mean, I just, I could go on a whole spiel about how, uh, it, it's kind of an outdated way of thinking when, when all you want to do is, is bash heads with each other, but 
at the same time, I know that, you know, if you throw the pads back on me, I mean, that's probably going to be the first thing I do is just want to go straight into full contact. <laughs> so I, I get, I get where the coaches are coming from. I mean, there's just a, it's kind of hardwired into your brain at one, at some point, especially playing like defensive line, like you, you just want to hit something. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think in this case, it's the coaches need to kind of be the guys that are looking out for their, for their uh, athletes sometimes. And, and, you know, as, as the science progresses and as, as we learn a little bit more about how to preserve and, and, uh, you know, make sure these careers aren't ending early. Uh, I think you'll have to have guys just kind of tell guys to take it easy. Another idea I heard from a coach that I liked is like taking, you know, instead of having 15 in the spring, give me eight in the spring, give me seven in June, you know, just kind of check back in and do some more OTAs in June where you can be around those guys. Cause you know, other than the weight, the strength and conditioning staff, you know, the position coaches, like the head coaches, coordinators, they can't really be with the guys, you know, and a lot of the time during the year, uh, which is why those strength and conditioning coaches are so important. I mean, they spend more time with the players than than any of the coaches. Yeah, it's the uh, the academic support staff and the, uh, the strength and conditioning coaches are going to see, see the guys a lot more than the, the coaches do, especially when the coaches are uh, recruiting even more than they were in my day. I mean, yeah. now recruiting, I mean, recruiting was always uh, – a big part of the job, but now, I mean, I feel like recruiting with NIL too. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a huge, uh, huge time commitment. And so I think that, uh, like, like you said, the, the strength and conditioning staff is going to have the guys even more than they did before. I think that's why, and Jimbo said this to his credit during a press conference uh, during spring practice, that one of the big advantages of having Bobby Petrino there is his time is ta- Jimbo's time is taken up so much now with recruiting and other obligations, even more. I mean, it always has a little bit, but it, it just feels like recruiting is now a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, every single weekend, you're going to have guys coming in. I was at TCU practice today on a Monday and there was recruits there. Right. So like it's always there. And when the, when the, when it's dead period for high schools, transfer portal still alive and blah, blah, blah. Um, so it, it's just wild um, what what's on head coaches. And so I do think one of the things that, you know, I think goes away are more and more the head coaches that are quote are coordinators. You're going to see more CEO types, more Mac Brown uh, type of coaches uh, rather than, than offensive coordinators like Jimbo, just because you can't do all of that well at one time. You cannot do everything. Well, you have to pick a few lanes and do that really, really well. Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be increasingly more about surrounding yourself with with uh, guys who are, are good play callers. The other thing too is like the game is constantly adapting. So if you're always adjusting to recruiting, you're not going to be able to adjust to some of the changes in play calling. Uh, I mean, we can say all we want about how uh, the game has passed people by, but if uh, if somebody's spending all their time recruiting and uh, the game's evolving in the meantime. I mean, when are you going to find that time to learn just because of how 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 much of a time consumer recruiting is? Uh, and, and I'm looking at this like there are so many facets to a job and you have to be able to do a little bit of everything. But I think uh, you're going to see increasingly people specialize. You're going to have guys that are recruiting specialists who are going to be position coaches, but you're going to have your coordinators are going to be guys that are that are more focused on the X's and O's than the recruiting side. 
and of course you know you're also going to have analysts and, and things of that nature that are that are kind of helping to light the load uh lighten the load either in the recruiting uh aspect or uh in play calling watching film things like that but at the end of the day i mean everybody's still going to have to come together on a saturday and and hope it's a well-oiled machine so it's going to be tough uh it's just uh kind of the way the game's evolving that's one of the things that always sticks out to me on my magazine trips is, you know, you go one day from Rice to Houston to UTSA, then you're at TCU and you're at A&M and then you're at North Tech. You you go and you kind of jump back and forth between these like big juggernaut programs, the ones a tier below that, and then the ones kind of at the bottom of FBS in terms of spending and budget and athletic stuff. Now, I'm not talking wins and losses, just in terms of about the money that they spend and the support staff at some of these places such as the Texas A&M are just so impressive. Like you realize like how much work goes on at the other schools by everybody. And just how, you know, we were talking about dietitians earlier. Well, UTEP doesn't have a dietitian. They can't feed their, they don't feed their players every single meal, right? Like they just, they just don't have that in the budget to just have, you know, a cafeteria with food that can come. Uh, But then you go to A&M where you can basically have every single meal, uh, not only provided for you, but there's options and there's different things. You eat different meal plans based on where you're at and stuff. And so uh, that that thing is always interesting to me, just like what what is going on, not only uh, with with the diet and, and what's provided to the athletes, but behind the scenes and just how many coaches and how many helpers and how many support staff and analysts and recruiting guys there is. I mean, they're building real like front offices, even at places like SMU they have a general manager and a head of scouting and all of this kind of stuff. Like it is for real crazy and changing compared to what college athletic was. I think even during your time. Oh yeah. No, for sure. During my time. I mean, it's, it's even more of an arms race now during my time, it was all about kind of like upgrading the facilities, which there's still some of that to an extent, but now, uh, now it's about having enough people on staff. It's not about, Oh, well, we've got the the best locker room or the best uh, stadium. Uh, now it's about well we've got this this amount of uh, attention being paid to recruits. I mean we've got this amount of uh, academic support staff. We have guys that have been advising people on on caloric intake uh, since the dawn of time. There's just like it's wild to see all the different backgrounds too. I mean even something like the GPSs and in uh, tracking player movement in a given day. I mean, there's just so many little things that have just kind of taken off and and changed even since my time. It's, it's, it's wild to, to see how it was and see how it is now and see that it's continuing, continuing to just kind of blow up with uh, how many people you need on staff. And one of these days NIL is going to become in-house, you know, it just will, you know, it's a matter of time before that becomes, you know, co-opted by the universities and, and some kind of governing body just to have some kind of oversight to it. And when that happens, you're going to have whole staffs of people for that as well. A couple of agents in the building, uh, you know, I'm sure a couple of like auditors, <laughs> you know, people who can, you know, accountants, people who can do contracts and stuff of that nature. So um, college football is just ever changing in the last few years. It just put it into warp speed with the transfer portal, NIL, the one-time transfer, um, being able to sign as many players as you want, you know, to kind of restack your rosters after COVID, uh, just a wild time for change, you know. And then another thing, uh, speaking of change, another thing that I've heard on my travels that I wanted to to kind of bring up that I thought was interesting, you know, 
when was spring games back in your day? Were they around this time? Were they earlier? I think they were like a little bit earlier. Okay. Because this this lends into the conspiracy theory I'm hearing. Spring games are getting later and later because the portal opens on the 15th. And coaches are trying to keep their guys engaged while that portal is opening and right before it. So like Baylor, you know, there's a couple schools that they don't have until April 22nd. And there are coaches who are out there who think those spring games are moving further and further back. Uh, that way your fullback, your linebacker or whatever is practicing when the portal opens. It doesn't have time uh, to go visit. Now, I mean, it's a little bit of fool's gold. If, if they want to get into the portal, they're going to go get into that portal. Uh, but I found it to be pretty interesting that he, the portal is even dictating or even messing with <laughs> coaches' minds in terms of like how they go about spring practices in general. Yeah, the, the only reason that I know that the spring games are earlier during my time is because uh, Chili Fest at Texas A&M is held <laughs> the, uh, the first week of April, and uh, the, they tried to sp- uh, coincide the spring game with that. So that uh, I think, I mean, this is my theory. Uh, again, this could be getting into the weeds a little bit, but I think the, the coaches were probably trying to keep us away from Chili Fest. <laughs> With good reason. Because that's the <laughs> other one, too. Like, I've always heard, maybe we've talked about this on, on this podcast, but um, I, I love the debate on if you start before spring practice or you wait until – or start before spring break or wait until after spring break. And I know some coaches who like to start the week before spring break. That way spring break doesn't feel like the last hurrah for players. Like, oh, man, we got to go all out because spring practice starts when we get back from spring break. The coaches want them to be, like, a little sore – and going, well, we're kind of already in spring practice. Like I, I can't, I should probably take it a little bit easy. Cause I got practice on Monday. Yeah. I gotta be honest with you. Like for spring break for us, we were just kind of trying to maximize the free time that we had just napping. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was uh, a lot of napping and a lot of uh, activities that were, were not football related uh, uh, when we had our spring break, but uh, it was uh you only get so much time as an athlete away from the facilities. So you I gotta, caught you. I saw your eyes kind of in a moment of remembrance there, you know, like you were yeah, remembering was, uh, something fondly right there. Gulf Shores, Alabama in, <laughs> in 2014 spring. Uh, there's a lot of things to remember or to not remember, but right. uh, it was like, again, you're, you're a kid who, you know, especially like as a freshman, you're going through this and, and, uh, it's been like a full-time job and you're going into the spring and all of a sudden you get one week away. You're not doing workouts. You're not doing practice. You're not watching film. You're, you're getting away from the facility. You're released out into the wild and uh, you do go a little bit wild uh, during spring break. So I, I personally, if I was a coach, I would rather just uh, have it with, with spring practice starting after spring break. Because I think whether you start it before spring break and then have a little split, or if you start it after, uh, the kids are still going to go wild to to an extent. Yeah, I mean, guys are going to be guys, right? I mean, on spring break, uh, college college. students are going to be college students. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Especially when uh, you've been practicing and and when you've been you know working out all all spring. And like you said, I mean, it is a full time job. It does. I mean, you're, you can't have another one. It's not like you can be a waiter at Chili's. You don't have time to do any of that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we all we all went a little too hard on spring break. 
Uh, now I'm remembering things or not remembering things. <laughs> Mine's further back. So my, my moment of silence there wasn't because I was remembering something fondly It's because it takes real effort to remember anything um, from it's, that far uh, it's away. Processing. Cause, yeah. Cause it was that far away ago where it's like, man, was that college or was that two weeks ago? Who knows? Uh, my brain is slowly crumbling. So um, <laughs> yeah. So spring break or spring, spring break, spring game. Uh, going on on Saturday. None of it matters. I think that's the take from Aggie Warpod right here. Uh, we'd like to see a little bit of tempo. I'd like to see a little bit of creativity in the play calling. Like you said, dressing stuff up because I think that's the biggest change in offenses over the like the last. You talk to the air raid guys, they're like, yeah, we're running the same stuff we used to run. We're just forced to do motion and a lot of different things to kind of lead into what we're running rather than just line up with 22 wide receivers one way, two wide receivers the other, and just run the same eight plays. We're still running the same eight plays. We just run it out of eight formations and we do nine different things before the snap to make it look different. Yeah. And like, I mean, even back in my day when uh, Gus Malzahn was at Auburn, his offenses were running a lot more window dressing than some. I mean, I feel like there was a lot of jet motion, a lot of orbit motion just uh, going on. And I feel like everybody's kind of adapted that. Uh, there wasn't as much motion. Now I feel like you pretty much have to have some kind of motion just because if you allow the defense to get set, I mean, they're going to film. That's another thing. Film is just so much more readily available now yeah. too. Yeah. It, it's uh, just another aspect of the game where people are able to to watch things and, and predict based on uh, formation alignment. I mean, personnel, all of that goes into to diagnosing what a play is going to be. Uh, and, and since there, you know, there's additional, uh, resources going into the studying you have to put additional uh window dressing on the field to just kind of distract from that it's another part of that analyst piece we were talking about too as well you got so many coaches watching so many different things like hey you're just watching their goal line package or you're just watching their short yardage third third down stuff or you're just watching what they do uh against third and long on defense like there's so much specialization uh with the analysts and, and all the different staff that you're right. You got to figure out a way to not, not trick teams, um, but just keep them guessing for just one split second longer. That gives you a little bit of an advantage somewhere uh, along the way. But if you're an Aggie fan listening, uh, if the offense looks really good on Saturday, it doesn't mean the defense is awful. If the uh, defense looks really good on Saturday, it doesn't mean the offense is awful or vice versa. Uh, don't get too high. Don't get too low. I know I'm speaking uh, to the abyss here because, you know, fans don't do that. Um, but it, it does feel like an important reminder that like the sky is not falling no matter what happens on Saturday, just like championships aren't coming no matter what happens on Saturday. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, you could try to convince people to be balanced, but fans are never going to be balanced. So uh, I think there's just a natural chemical unbalance to, to being a fan of sports. That's true. It's your, and you see it. Like, I don't realize that that's true because I'm so sports brain. Like, Everybody I know has a tie to sports, family or otherwise. Like that's just, you know, in my family, sports is a huge deal. So it starts there and all my friends are into sports, all my coworkers, obviously, because what I do, everybody I talk to on Twitter, my whole Twitter timeline is just sports people. Uh, but then you talk to somebody who's not a sports person about sports and you start to realize one, how dumb it is, uh, but also just like how there must be a sickness. Like there must be something inside each of us. Like I know we talk about the sicko thing. Like there has to be something kind of within all of us that make us care this much about something that, I mean, <laughs> on, I mean, really honestly, like doesn't matter. But I say that as somebody who like 
without football, my life ceases to exist. Like literally, like I don't yeah. eat without football. And so uh, it's just amazing how this silly, dumb thing that we all love has become such a huge, huge, huge deal. It's wild, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's like, I think somebody once told me that something was wrong with my brain just because of how much time I spent on sports. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a comeback for that. Like I, I do have a broken sports brain. Yeah. It's yeah. just so much of my, my life now, but uh, it is nice to be able to uh, enjoy things just kind of casually. Unfortunately, that's just not the case right now with uh, with sports for us, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do everything a thousand or zero. Like I don't have, I don't really have a middle thing, which has got me into a lot of trouble in my life, like literal trouble in my in my life. But uh, I think for 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 the sports brain purposes, it, it works well. But uh, we're about to enter very dark times, very <laughs> deep dark times. So before we close out this podcast, I want to ask you your favorite like non sports thing to do. like when you when you're not doing a sports thing. What is Jay Arnold doing? Well, this is this is good. This is an easy one for me because it's barbecue. Okay, right. Uh, it's it's pretty much just eating barbecue. Uh, other than that, I mean, sports and barbecue are the two uh, the two main aspects of my personality. I think most people who follow me on the internet know that by this point. Uh, unfortunately, I'm uh, pretty easy to read. But uh, other than that, I do like to get into some uh, uh, the occasional music uh concerts things like that i like to go uh, uh see some live bands i'm mostly into the americana and like country okay. scene okay uh right. i'm not as like I, I don't know what kind of music you listen to mike but i'm i'm like hardcore American rap. Aquarium. okay there you go <laughs> hardcore rap is uh <laughs> i mean i mean are we talking like real deep like underground stuff or i mean i i grew up i mean i spent i i feel like i spent uh kindergarten through seventh grade in missouri city so like uh the box kind of raised me i i grew up on on you know southern rap music right like southern yeah. houston rap music so um yeah i mean now i mean i will listen to like kendrick lamar and stuff but yeah i'm usually listening to ugk or outcast or uh, big pokey or something along those lines like i am like an office space i can't remember the guy's name he's uh bolton the one that's named after michael bolton you know when he's like just jamming rap music even though he's like a white dude with glasses or that that's me yeah. absolutely i don't turn mine down uh when i'm around like uh black people or homeless people like he does in that show uh but yeah i i definitely am jamming to some rap music 99.99.9 percent .9 of the time although chris stapleton has found his way into my rotation following the uh the super bowl and i do i do randomly like chris stapleton at the moment yeah he's uh he's got an incredible voice huh? unbelievable uh, uh yeah mine's uh mine's a little more probably off the beaten path as far as country music goes a band called lost dog street band is one of my favorite acts uh a guy named matt heckler who's kind of uh i mean it's bluegrass ish uh but also just kind of country and like I grew up in, in high school and, and middle school, I was big into like the pop punk scene. Mm. So sometimes I like to get a little bit of that angst in my country music. Sure. And sure. Uh, some, some of those acts that I listen to get, get some of that mixed in there. I think I just always like the poetry of it. You know, like I'm a words guy. I just always I've always liked books. I've always like, you know, I grew up to be a writer. Uh, I enjoy trash talk. I was a wrestling fan like Ric Flair was my favorite wrestler growing up. 
And, and, you know, he had a lot, he was kind of like a rapper, you know, he was like cutting yeah. diss tracks all the time, you know, and I was born in 85. So I'm nine, 10 years old. Um, when you're kind of first coming into your, I think you're like, when you're starting to form your own likes and dislikes, and it just happened to be at the height of the West coast, East coast rap battle, you know, it was like the biggest thing in the world. Uh, and so I, I absolutely was the, uh, suburban white dude that, that, uh, loves rap music to his core. Uh, but I try not to talk about it online because I know that there's nothing more annoying than like internet white guy talking rap music. Like he's like an authority on it. So I just kind of keep all my opinions to myself. Yeah. I was, I was waiting to see how deep into the weeds we were going to get with the, with the, with the, with the rap music. You got to know your lane. I think one of the most important things in life is knowing your lane and then reading a room and then taking kind of the temperature of people. Like I think Twitter is an unbelievable tool because it's, it's taught me so many things. Uh, and one of the things that Twitter has taught me is that like white people shouldn't talk about rap music out loud, like not in a, like a real way. You can talk about being a fan of it, but like, as soon as it's like, oh man, this is my favorite or this guy stinks or whatever, like that guy on the internet just gets just crushed by black Twitter. And my only goal in life, only goal is to never avoid, be the main character. Yes. Is to avoid, especially, <laughs> especially with black Twitter, right? I do not want to be the white guy with glasses in my Abbey. That is just drug through black Twitter. I try to avoid that at all costs. So I just, I humbly uh, just accept what any opinion comes my way with rap music. Yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, you don't get into the debates. You, you enjoy what you enjoy and you mm-hmm. just kind of let people enjoy what right. they enjoy. And, right. and then you stay out of trouble. Yes. hundred percent drama free, drama free. Um, so that's, that's the only way to keep it. So uh, what are you doing this weekend? You're going to be watching, you're going to be watching the spring game. Yeah, I think I'll uh, be watching on TV. Yeah, I don't, me too. I don't think I'm going to make the trip up to College Station just because it's kind of, I don't know. Uh, it'll be too many people there, and I'll be I'll be in College Station in May for the uh, Troubadour Festival. That's right. And I'm uh, I got to save up because I got to make a trip to uh, Rapid City uh, this fall. So that's going to be <laughs> that's uh... right. That's right. Rapid City this fall. Honestly, when you said there's going to be too many people there, that was all you needed. You know, for me, that's like, that's the only, like, that's the only reason ever needed not to go somewhere. I was like, there's going to be way too many people there. I don't know about parking. Um, so I was going to stay home. But parking kind of- is, is those two things, just the sheer amount of people in parking and the fact uh, that I would have to try to find somewhere to stay in College Station. Because uh, if I'm going to be around that many people, I, I, I'm probably going to want to tailgate a little bit. Sure. Uh, sure. You add in all those factors, and I'm just like, eh, I could just stay home and, and and save money. It's amazing how much more I care about parking situations as I get older. Like the older I get, the more parking ease becomes like the determining factor of if I participate in an event or not. Like if you had asked 24 year old me where parking ranked in terms of if I was likely to do something or not, it would have been very low. Like not even, I don't even know I would have gotten to parking. It's top three now. I I, would, I need to know who's there, how late it's going to be, and if I can find parking easily. Yeah, I mean, like you talked about when we went and had dinner, I was a little bit concerned at the Candente place about yeah. parking. I almost turned around. I was almost like, we got to find a new place. I don't know where to park. I can't park in this place. Like it's street parking. I was so nervous pulling into there. Uh, so that worked out. That worked out. But all right, man. We will uh, enjoy the spring game on TV and then come back next week with like really big breakdowns. I want us to like capital J, like Trent Dilfer, like break down the spring. No, I'm joking. We're not going to do we're not going to do a, a crazy recap of the spring game, but I'm sure we'll talk about the big points. Yeah. And uh, this is another thing. 
for this job, it is a lot easier to watch things on TV and oh, get takeaways than it is to watch in person. Oh, I this is a topic for another time. But one of the interesting things in sports media right now, if you're not a beat writer, there's not honestly a whole lot to get from being at a game anymore. Fans don't read gamers. I don't know if that's a trade secret that I'm not supposed to share or something, but nobody reads gamers anymore. Not not a single freaking person because you know as much as the writer. Like it yeah. used to be you needed the writer to tell you some stuff. Either it was on the radio or it was out of town. Or you didn't get the game or whatever. Now we can all see it and we can all hear the podcast and we all have our own podcast and we all blog and we all do all to where like you don't need, you're not reading what the newspaper guy is telling you about, about being at a game. So uh, it's becoming less and less valuable uh, to be at game. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Like it is much, I learned more like for, I was on the soccer beat for a year. Uh, I learned more about soccer, not being there than there, like there, you couldn't learn anything, you know, you're just like in the thralls of it. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. And that's like, sometimes when I like go to games now, a lot of times I'm writing about the experience and the atmosphere of the yeah. fans, the, yeah. the food around the stadium. I'm not even talking about the games as much because to really like talk about the game, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it anyway. Yeah. No, you're 100%. that's the way to do it. That is the way, like, I think guys like Spencer Hall and stuff were on the front foot of that, you know, where it was like, there's a, there's an event here and there is a game going on and that's part of the story. But the the actual story is the event that is happening around the game, the craziness that is college football, and some of that is outside uh, the stadium. I think a bunch of a bunch of journalism nerds like me who kind of like got into this for like the like just the way we grew up on new. I just think we've all had to pivot, and the ones who have have survived, and the ones who haven't, you know, are the curmudgeons on Twitter that are always upset about stuff. <laughs> And that's uh, that's not what we're going for. We don't want no. to be curmudgeons here at Aggie War Pod. No, no, trying to stay above the fray. There's some hater in me, though. I know that there is. Like, there is some old man <laughs> on my lawn. Like, now somebody speeds by me, and I'm like, where's a cop when you need them? You know, like, I'm starting <laughs> to, you know, I'm starting, like, like, I'm at a hotel. I really worry about my neighbors and how loud or not loud they're going to be now to where I used to not care. Um, and so, like, it's starting to come out. It's starting to come out. But uh, I'm trying to trying to keep it at bay as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we just kind of have to try to stop that curmudgeon, uh, that yep. inner curmudgeon in its path. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when it when it tries to make its way yep. out. Exactly. Because if I don't, if I let it out now, by the time I'm 80, I'm gonna be insufferable, and I I, just, <laughs> I don't I don't need to be that guy. So, uh, for Mike Craven, for Jay Arnold, uh, I think my voice just cracked. TexasFootball.com, uh, Republican Football Network. Please rate, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. We will talk to you next week about the spring game.